swinging F1 podcast. Freddie's already laughing, so that's a good sign. We're, it's our Australian Grand Prix preview. It's the first time F1 has gone down under since the last time F1 went down under for the 2022 Australian Grand Prix. It's already that kind of episode, and I love it. But to join me through that episode is Freddie and a man who was the student faculty leader for mathematics when he was in either school or sixth form, Nigel Chu. Nigel how are you feeling to have had that revealed to the world? Uh, I forgot I told you. Why did, oh, yeah, I told you that last week. Yeah. Uh, I feel delighted that you've told the world that. Uh, and, yeah, it, it was in high school in year 11. So, oh, yeah. well, well done. <laughs> Freddie, do you regret that you I weren't <laughs> it's the biggest achievement faculty in my leader? For mathematics, no, I was, set, I was in set four, so it would have been a um, bold choice. <laughs> To put me so high up in the in the in the maths game that early on. Well, there we go. But we will move on swiftly to because the, the maths I can do means that I can count that one is above four in terms of one, two, three, four for that kind of thing. Even though four is above one, anyway. Nigel, help me. They, it feels quite cruel that they make the lower set the like higher numbers. Well, I guess then that's teaching you like what four or five is. Or six, depending on how many sets you have. We only have five. Well, who finished? Who finished twentieth in the Saudi Arabian qualifying? Um, Sergeant. Sergeant. Well, Sergeant. Based on that logic, if the higher number is the best, then Sergeant qualified the best for that race. So, well, there we go. But Sergeant was not driving a McLaren. The two drivers who were driving McLaren will be under. And the new technical leadership after after McLaren announced that they had let go of James Key. I forget the official um, denomination that they gave the parting of ways, but uh, yeah, they they are moving on. They are basically accepting that um, yeah they need to have a change at the top of their technical structure. They brought in David Sanchez from Ferrari, who left pretty suddenly as a from a team who is also having a bit of a. Um, technical doubts going on if rumours are be- to be believed coming out of Italy but Nigel I know this is something that you've been tracking and talking about for a while so I'll give you the first go on this one what was your reaction to the news? Um, my reaction was to write an article for Total Motorsport, Total Motorsport which is what I've done to go and read that but I also thought it was kind of interesting that even before pre-season testing we all kind of weren't that optimistic about McLaren and we all know or we know the drivers have talked about who've driven from McLaren over the last three, four years uh, signed to Ricardo Norris, they've all talked about a strange car or a unique driving style and to have that over two different regulations in 2021 then 2022 I think that's very interesting in a way that that's kind of happened and the kind of lame, if you have to use a word, does go to James Key, the technical director who's been there since 2019. So, I think considering McLaren before the budget cap didn't have the big money of Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, they did very, very well. But I think Zach Brown kind of thinks James Key isn't good enough to get McLaren back to the front. And this year, this season, to me, it seems like they've set their targets too low in terms of the downforce that the car can produce, and that's what it lacks at the moment. And also, it's very inefficient. I mean, the, the drag in Saudi Arabia was absolutely horrendous, quite frankly. 
against the Williams when, when Norris and Piastri were, were battling Sargent. So I think this season, the combination of the McLaren car not being that easy to drive has kind of led led to this move. And I think it is the right move. I just, for me, James Key just wasn't quite good enough to be the person to lead the McLaren uh, back to the front. Ready? Right, we can end the podcast there, to be honest. That was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, 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 yeah, I agree with Nigel. I think this this concept for McLaren is the first sort of officially James Key-led McLaren since ever. And because um, the when he came in in, in sort of mid to early 2019, I want to say, yeah. um, they'd, they'd already built the car that was laid the groundwork for their pretty decent 2019, 2020, and 21, because yeah. they were all essentially the same car. Um, 20 and 21, definitely, because of the, the COVID regulation um, continuation. And, you know, our first time asking, it's it's not really worked and it's not shown many signs of fruitful development and as nigel as nigel said so it seems to be it's kind of like yeah we need to rejig this a bit but what they've kind of done is they've they've gone back it seems to what they had done under the ron dennis regime with a sort of a flatter structure of different technical um technical directors across the board as opposed to an all-seeing technical leader um, and it, you know, it's like they're doing everything they can to not say the word matrix, which is you know what Ron Dennis coined back in the day. It's like, oh, it's the matrix structure. Everyone's all this kind of stuff. We've got a modern, modern conglomerate structure for a modern conglomerate team, which McLaren like used to like to pride itself uh, as. And I don't know. It seems to be like there's sort of a pattern now with teams that seem to go from fits and starts between. Um, we need a traditional one technical director to. We need a team of leaders. We need one director, team of leaders. It seems to be that they go between the between each one. McLaren are on this phase, and then in four years' time, they'll be on a technical director on their own again. And then in four years after that, they'll be back to three leaders, and and so on. I mean, I don't really know. I don't really know what works. It seems to be that some things work in some organizations. Some organizations, some things don't. It's essentially some teams have designed a good car and some teams haven't. I don't know if this rejig will change anything. I don't have much faith in it because the amount of times we see this in F1, as I was just alluding to, is is 10 a penny. So what what will happen? No one knows. And it's a long time for this. They're just It's another thing, another excuse for McLaren to kick down the road, isn't it? Like we're waiting for the wind tunnel, which they've now opened. We're waiting for for the improvements we're waiting for all the new regulations now we're waiting for the next set of new regulations now we're waiting for the next season the season after that's now we're waiting for this person to join and this person to finish their garden leave and so it's like oh okay cool what are we waiting for now 2050 like goodness me. <laughs> well yeah, pretty much like no, uh, it's late. i didn't mean to sorry it, mclaren it i like be... mclaren no it's gonna be 2025 at the earliest probably 2026 because david sanchez is only gonna join next year so then that's next year's car will have nothing to do or not much to do with him. So then it you know, it will only be the year after when the winter was, you know, properly up and running because I think it only it only gets going in June and that'll take time to kind of correlate as well. So we are talking minimum two years for McLaren to even think about getting back to the front, I think. Yeah, it 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 is just really frustrating and you know, for as Freddie kind of alluded to there, like for for fans then it is 
it's a team that a lot of people want to root for. It's quite, you know, it's a well-liked neutral team. Obviously, they've got Norris there, who a lot of people like, and Piastri as well, who's won himself a lot of fans with his exploits. So it is, there's a lot good around the team, and that's just what makes it so frustrating. You know, it's one of the biggest names in Formula 1, but it's just so frustrating when they can't keep it all together and they can't, you know, get a, a good run for more than a few seasons because um, they did have real momentum in 2019 and 20 especially. After that third place, kind of against the odds, especially from the start of the season in in 2020, then it was really looking really well set and it has just slipped away from them really. So yeah, it's, I mean, like you say, it's just really frustrating that now we're going to have to wait again. And I don't know, like Norris at the start of the season, then Norris was saying he thought it'd be 2024 when McLaren start to see their gains coming to fruition. And he was happy to, or at least publicly, he was happy to write off 23 and look to 24. But now if they're kicking it to 25 at least or 26, I can't imagine he's going to be happy with that. And I think there'll be a lot of rumours coming out over potential departures to various teams over the, well, starting, you know, imminently. But then again, on the flip yeah, side... Yeah. On the flip side of um, saying, oh, we need to focus on this and that, what 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 recovery plan can we see? Aston Martin have laid the groundwork for teams to make a jump. And if something does click in, if things do work, there is the potential to make a jump. So on the flip side of that, there is a level of, well, make the make the the attempt, make the 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 jump to make a change and just throw something in there and just get on with it because a jump is possible in this era of Formula One in a way that um, probably all of us thought wouldn't happen in that reg- in that way with Aston Martin over this offseason. Yes, with with various bits and pieces and and design design um, ideas that have transferred between people, but you can take the designer and if he's got the ideas, he's got the ideas. So I'm referring to Dan Fallows there. Um, and if that if that's just the way to go with it, then. Why not take the push? And there, there is that. I think that's a level of optimism to look at this. That I think we're right to be cynical of everything in this regard. But Aston Martin have given us a leg. I've given everyone a leg to stand on, uh, to to sort of look to quite a, a close future and hope for a good upturn in fortune. Ultimately, it's, it's I, just I all think... about the people in those roles. Like, you know, you you said there, Dan Follow, Follows, obviously, Red Bull have finally got back to the front under, you know, one of, if not the greatest technical minds in F1. And, you know, Mattia Binotto led Ferrari's resurgence after 2020. Like, it is, in a large sense, it is all about, you know, just getting a good person and finding a good person and hitting that jackpot. So it's, you know, like, talking about structures or whether there's one person at the top or several or, you know, it's it's less about the structure more who works within it and who's you know who can they get and can they get the right person to because Dan Fallows is you know what really really you know what he has achieved uh Aston Martin already is remarkable but you know it's not you need to you know be a good enough technical figure for that fundamentally and you know McLaren have brought James Key in and unfortunately it's not worked out for him and for them. I think what's interesting is over the last to me 12 to 18 months there's been more and more talk about uh, technical people moving and designers and I'm, I'm kind of glad that is happening because ultimately F1 is mostly about the car not the drivers yes the drivers are the big stars of course but really more media attention or more attention in general should be put on these design people and I think that's really interesting that that has come to light you know over the last one or two years and McLaren now with this restructure we should be asking 
and obviously it's impossible to know uh, because it, you know technical people it's not like sport where you can analyze the I guess performance yes you can look at the car but to pin on to but to pin that on one person or 100 people is impossible to say I think uh, so I just think that that kind of aspect is interesting as well and, you know how how many important people does it take to like I guess get to the front because Aston Martin have taken one of Red Bull's top aerodynamicists and one of Mercedes as well, and that has gotten them to the front. Uh, you know, so yeah, I, I just kind of find find that fascinating, really. It's also what they wanted to achieve with the budget cap. Is you know Dan Fallows has gone from being head of aerodynamics at Red Bull to a technical director at Aston Martin. You know, which will have a higher pay packet. So it is. It's all about balancing that, and it is. Yeah, as I say, that's one of the things they wanted to achieve with the budget cap is have a, you know, make it easier for to have that um, flux where, you know, Rebel now can't afford to be paying their head aerodynamicist the same as a um, technical director, someone else, or if they can, then it means they have to make savings elsewhere. So it really mixes in all of that, which I think is, yeah, I think is interesting and shows that fingers crossed it's working, but yeah. I didn't know if Freddie was going to jump in there, but I feel like we've got something <laughs> to that topic talking about McLaren, but one team that was linked with McLaren or one brand that was linked with McLaren, but now won't be joining F1 is Porsche or Porsche, depending on where you're from. They were linked with Red Bull last season and that fell through because they wanted too high of a controlling stake. Freddie's put his hand up. Is it is Porsche or Porsche regional? I kind of meant internationally. Oh, okay. I don't know which is the native, though. I got Porsche. I've first. always I said say Porsche. I say Porsche. Oh, it must be a North and South thing again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I said no, Porsche. I, and I switched between. Because I just thought, well, they know more about cars than me. So they said Porsche. Mm. That's that's what I went for. But I, I mean, every, both are fine, aren't they? So. Yeah. Well, I flip in nah, between. Porsche is definitely the right one. Right. I don't know which one you said. Porsche. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, anyway, they're not coming there. to F1. Think that. Discuss. <laughs> they're not coming to F1? No, they're not. Um, they were very much trying to have their cake and eat it, weren't they? They never really committed massively. It was all, oh, look, it, they, they basically wanted to do what Ford have done, but with a bit more kudos and a bit more um, power, um, which is take over an existing powertrain company, which has already started doing their own work, which has um, levels of Honda already involved as well. Um and they weren't prepared to front for their own engine and they weren't prepared to do that. So it's kind of understandable that it hasn't hasn't worked out. It was, it was quite a half-baked proposal. Um, unlike their sister company, Audi, who are a sister company, but very different, as I think is the pre- something you have to say if you talk about Audi and Porsche on a podcast, you have to declare that they're the same parent owner, but very different. Um, so take that off your bingo cars, lads. Um but um, they 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 they've come in in it with a with a full on like works team focus with preparation and and quite a statement of intent, whereas that is one there with Porsche and um, and to be honest, they don't need to. They they they've gone for the full Le Mans program. They're at the front in Formula E. They they've been at the front in pretty much every GT series for forever. So, and they're continuing to fund that with with a lot of a lot of panache and. It, it just never really worked Porsche in F1. So apart from when they weren't called Porsches and they were called Tags in, in the mid-80s, it's um, 
fair it's, it's kind of you know it's kind of always doomed to failure and that seems to have been what's happened and I'm not that surprised <laughs> take that off your bingo card that's really got me there uh, no I'd, I'd have to really but ages ago you're still laughing that's good I'll add that to my stand up <laughs> <Yeah>. set <laughs> I can't wait to see the set uh, It'll probably be a podcast I have to do on my own because you two aren't around <laughs> Uh, Porsche, Porsche. Yeah, I I think it's a shame for F1 because having a big brand manufacturer like that would have been amazing. And I do think F1 is in this bit of a golden era in terms of a boom of teams and manufacturers of what you know we could have a twelve, thirteen car grid if uh, the right people are in charge and the and F1 F, and if that's what F1 wants. But I kind of feel for Porsche, it's a bit of a blessing in disguise almost because. F1 is very political, let's say, in my opinion. And ultimately, there's usually maximum two or three teams at the front. And to be one of those two or three teams, you have to spend a lot. And yes, we've got the budget cap, but you also have to get the right people in place. And I think that's very tough to do. Uh, So that's why, you know, linking up with Red Bull or McLaren was the right thing to do. But they couldn't agree. They couldn't make the right agreement in terms of the structure, uh, so that it just never happened. So, yeah, it's a shame, but not really, I'm not too surprised. But I do feel it's now not going to happen. Uh, well, for another ten, fifteen years, possibly. Yeah, that's what um, I forget if it's Porsche or uh, VW, but yeah, one of them said that was kind of the yeah that was the opportunity, and then it goes away for another ten years, and then. You get a chance to come back in, or that has been a bit longer. Freddie, do you think it will be, you know, do you think Porsche will regret it, or do you think they will see it as? I mean, I know you alluded to their success in other motorsports because I'm not, mm. I'm kind of obviously at the moment, everyone wants to get in F1, but that also means you're kind of buying high at the moment. And then, you know, if it doesn't yeah. go south in five or 10 years, then you'll be selling low. So, but equally, it is a chance that doesn't come around very often. So, where do you kind of sit between those two camps? I think. As has always been the case, F1's never been the be-all and end-all. I think, yeah, it's a fantastic pie of a piece of at the moment, but I think Porsche have done fantastically well without it. They don't need it. Um, none of the car companies need it, which is why F1 plays to them so so much. Um, but it's just kind of like... I, I don't think it's that bad or a big deal that it's just not worked out. It's just, it could have worked out they each party sees the pro of the other. A few things didn't happen, didn't go in the, in the best possible way. They weren't fully committed. They were trying a bit of a half ass entry anyway. And oh well, I kind of, I kind of see, see with the the future of it that it's this is yeah this is the closest it's been. It's a shame it hadn't got over the line, but. There, that I, I, I can't only think of many. I can't think much to say about it anymore. Really, apart from that's it. Well, there we go. I feel, we can... I, feel I, I feel like 10, 15 years is optimistic for, for the conversations to reignite. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I... yeah it's, I mean, it's impossible to say what's going to happen, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Porsche. I mean, I think it goes back to what you said. Porsche and F one. It just never has been a major relationship, not like Honda, for example, who, yes, they've been in and out of the sport, but they've had those spells, I guess. 
So that just comes, it's just part of, part of the culture, I guess. And some car manufacturers are like that. It's the same with, I don't know, BMW, uh, perhaps. Just thinking of random manufacturers. So, yeah, shame it didn't happen, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, definitely. I think there's so much interest in F1 right now. And um, yeah, it would have been, it would be nice to see still, but we shall move on. And one of the teams that Porsche were linked with were Red Bull, who had Dan Fallows. But where did Dan Fallows start his F1 career? At Jaguar. Who drove for Jaguar? Mark Webber. Where's Mark Webber from? Australia. But he lives in the UK. What, oh. what F1 Grand Prix is it this weekend? The Australian Grand Prix. Who's going to win it? Is there going to be a battle? What are we going to see? What can we expect? Will Aston Martin win it? What's going on? That's a lot of questions. Uh... Mark Verstappen, Canberra, isn't he? <laughs> uh, I think he is. Yeah, Canberra. Because he's the Canberra milk kid. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. Have you seen that advert? You haven't seen the Canberra milk no. kid advert. Oh, no. it's Mark Webber in about two thousand nine singing a song <laughs> about uh, milk, and he's just at a car track, but he's in somewhere probably like Basingstoke or something random, and he's good. <laughs> he just stands at the side holding some milk. It's great. It's a fantastic advert. I oh, I urge you all to watch that. Also, Fernando Alonso could win it. Um, as we all know, he was so phenomenal and should have been on the front row. And it was the best ever qualifying lap that wasn't completed ever, and all of that kind of stuff last year in the Alpine. So maybe he could win it. But what I don't know. I think Red Bull are quite good at the moment, but I don't know what I'm basing that on. Uh, I think this track, out of most of the tracks this year. Considering there's going to be four DRS zones, I think, uh, around <laughs> yeah. Albert, Albert Park, which is like 70, 60% of the circuit, and Red Bull found some trick, which I'm still trying to work out. And I forget Triple DRS. To work out. Yeah, well, yeah. Apart from people who, who are around Red Bull, how to find it more top-end speed by opening that, that's going to be a massive advantage this weekend. So I fully ex- expect a 1-2 a in qualifying and a 1-2 in the race. The only thing is if there will be a battle between Verstappen and Perez who for me it's just all about uh, the start Uh, (laughs) what I I will say is I find it interesting I think I read they've swapped the pole position and second place starting grid boxes so pole position is now on the dirty side of the grid inside and it would be absolutely amazing if Verstappen's on pole on the right hand side and Perez jumps him at the start because then there'll be some kind of like Thief going on, I think. Well, so it's full on John Marie Ballester, isn't it? This now, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, the Japanese Grand Prix in 1990 between Senna and Prost. Yeah, uh, at least it's not done Senna between like, like in much in, in more announced circumstances, such as the final race. But um, that's an interesting thing. I hadn't I hadn't realized that. And with it being a street track, I guess that makes a lot of difference. Mm-hmm. But there's a big old support structure. F2 and F3 are there. I think yeah. S5000 are there as well. No supercars this year, which is a shame because that's always a cool thing for no, the event. No, there is supercars. Super oh, there? Oh, cool. Yeah. I read the wrong article then. Um, <laughs> no, well, then fantastic. There's such a big um, support series Huge. structure there that I think, you know, it's probably going to be fairly clean still anyway. Yeah, should have, be. But have you seen quite, the... Uh, it would be the... quite funny if... Go on. Oh, it did. It was much less intelligible. Have you seen the video where they um they set off the F1 car, a road car, and a V8 supercar, and they like yeah. time it differently 
it's it's at at the Melbourne track, and they time it like obviously staggered, and they crossed the line like in Phillip Island as well. It was really, really close. It's really good. So I recommend people watching that as an Australian thing. Um, I missed the first half of Nigel's analysis because I was watching the Canberra Milk Kid video and it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so I can second um, Freddie's thing to go and watch it. I mean, I'm... The only reason I know Mark Webber's from Canberra. In, in terms of this weekend, I think... I mean, it'd be great if Perez can challenge and we can have a battle at the front or if any of the, the other teams can. But or it's if Perez can getting... challenge from like fourth because he has a bad qualifying and he gets like yeah he's got third no that won't be good that'll be boring carry on it, i was just like it's already getting a bit like tired maybe the um like people f1 f1 and sky sports already trying to big up either aston martin or um uh perez as being like the big title challenger this season and kind of like oh well we could have a battle when I just really don't feel I, like... I don't think anyone's really going... I think I hear more people saying that they're bored that people are saying about it than actually saying it. Um, I, I feel like I've seen a fair bit and not really... Fair enough. ...being bored at it. But um, yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if there is a battle, but I really don't see it unless something goes wrong, like uh, a drive shaft not working, for example. So we will have to... Yeah, it's, it's, well, that's the only thing that I can... If it's can to be believed... Really. The second half of that, the Saudi race was very, very, very difficult for both cars. So who knows? Maybe it's a bumpy track. It's a street track. Um, it's an actual street track, unlike the, the Jeddah race. Um, so there's every chance that it could be a little bit of a of a. Um, it's always quite attritional, to be honest, Melbourne. Not just yeah. because it's traditionally quite early; it is genuinely quite an attritional, quite a tricky balls close track. So there could be quite a, a few weird upsets. Um, I don't know what you guys are doing, whether you guys are going to be staying up through the night. I probably won't be. So I might wake up on random on like what's qualifying and it'd be like, oh, this person's crashed in, in FB3 in the middle of the night for you. So who knows what's happening? That, that can always be quite ex- exciting from a UK viewer perspective where, where it's just kind of like, oh, that's happened. Wow. That, that is what I, I mean, especially when I was younger and it was easier to get up early because I wasn't as lazy and I went to bed earlier. Then I did really like that about F1. I mean, the the kind of early early season, um, Australia, Malaysia, China, and you'd get up early and just like go downstairs. And like, I, I just really liked that about, early, you know, early F1 when it was on terrestrial television as well, which obviously it isn't now. Um but yeah, I think for what what do you think about Melbourne as well? Because the the fan opinion it's it signed up to a long term deal, but fan opinion does seem to have changed about it. I think it's with it losing the opening race of the season. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it will. I think it's contracted to have I think three opening races of the season over the next ten or thirteen years. But five. fan opinion does seem to have. I think um, it's five over the next ten. I thought. Is it? Um, yeah, like you know, the last Grand Prix was one of the worst of the season, and it's. Do you think it needs a good... Obviously, they made the change last season, which didn't seem to have too much of an effect, at least on the competitive running. Do you think it needs a good race to get back in, I guess, F1 fans' good books? I don't know. I, I From my side of it, I've been to the Grand Prix in Australia and and, and it was fantastic event. The event there was really good. And that was pre-COVID and all of that, but it was, so it was pre the big Drive to Survive off. It was the first series of Drive to Survive came out about two days before i was there so that wasn't a thing but it was a massive fantastic event anyway before that had all become ridiculous in the whole city they always talk about this in the, the whole city embraces it but it genuinely was insane how much 
Melbourne was an F1 city that weekend. And compared to other Grand Prix I've been to, the sort of um, stalwart ones like um, I was at uh, Hungara Ring and Budapest didn't really have the same feel at all and things like that in, in ways that you'd have, I, I was quite surprised by. So I would say from that side of it, on the ground, if you're F1, you go to that event and you think, yeah, they're doing a fantastic job here. And because that, from that side of it, I think that definitely deserves to be there because that's a bit of a standard for other races. Um, so I, I, um, I do think probably you do maybe need a bit more an eventful race there. They made those changes last year, but I think that there wasn't really much chance to see them because of Charles Leclerc's phenomenal pace. Um, there are sides of it, like that Saudi race the other time out was, you know, that track has lots of ingredients for really good racing, but it was just the nature of where the cars were. So I think, I think, yeah, I, I think it could do with it with a bit more, with a few more classic races on the list, just because of the amount of time it's been there. But um, as an event, it's brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, I've not been to the Australian Grand Prix, unfortunately, but I think Freddie is spot on. He has got that kind of fan love for it and not many events do have that probably a third of the calendar, quarter of the calendar maybe I kind of have that fan engagement I guess with it uh, but I think what I can speak about is the track layout. For me I can understand why they've made all these changes in terms of trying to create more overtaking, better racing but the one change I'm not a fan of is getting rid of, rid of that turn 9, 10 chicane, the right, left uh, which is like the start of the second sector, I think, or just after the start of the second sector. I think now it's almost too like too much full throttle, I guess. It's it's not it's not easy, obviously, but it it just feels a bit I don't know, it's kinda of lost a technical bit, I guess. Uh so I don't know, it the track it just I don't know it's it's just always been difficult to have this on for some reason, and you know, off like Fred said, we've we've only seen it once with these new changes. But yeah, I can't help but feel there is something about it where it does lack that kind of excitement, I guess, uh, which other races do have, and Melbourne doesn't. Yeah, <clears throat> I can't speak for for going there, but it always felt, regardless of how you know whether the race was good or not, then it was the opening Grand Prix of the season. It you know it was a. It, it was a safe bet for F1, really, but there was, you know, there was some good races, you know, being a start of the season, if there were some retirements, you know, some, you know, being a nutritional track as well, then there was that potential there. And, but I think with it not hosting the season opener since 2019 now, then it seems to have lost a bit of that, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a bad race because F1's back um, vibe. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think certainly for, you know, when when you see perennially WTF one or or whoever the race or whoever tweeting out, you know which which track do you want to get rid of? You know which is your least favorite, which is your favorite, whatever. It is one that seems to come up a lot more um, from people who aren't going to the event. So I do think I I feel like it could do with yeah something like you know a, a, a good race to come in, but I'm not sure whether that will happen. But is there anything else you would like to add on the Australian Grand Prix? Well, I mean. To be honest, I am looking forward to it probably more than the, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix just in general because, like what we've said, what I've said, uh, it, I think it's just a great, cool Grand Prix. I just I think it's a fantastic place. So I am looking forward to it. And who knows where we'll be. And we're not going to have F1 for four weeks afterwards. So, um, 
Oh, Nigel was actually shedding a tear. Um, the, <laughs> I, I, I think it will be it will be nice to see, and I, I hope Oscar Piastri um, can continue his form that he showed at fits and starts in Saudi Arabia because you know home race race three, um, no Ricardo, a, few, a bit of pressure on his shoulders. So hopefully he can have a good one. Shones have never had good luck since when they finished fifth in two thousand and what year was it? One, two? Two. Two, yeah. Since then. Like yeah. you, they've all had always had bad luck, like Webber's been involved in incidents, the Cardinals been disqualified and all that yeah. been involved in incidents and stuff. Like, it's always been bad for the last twenty one years, so yeah, hopefully Piastri Well the luck is points this time, so Fingers crossed yeah. for, for Oscar. And then that that brings a nice sort of roundabout to our McLaren discussion earlier on as well. Yeah, surely they can't have a worse weekend than Bahrain, surely. But we will have to wait and see, and we will be back. I mean, imagine. That's it. <laughs> Don't bear thinking about it, does it? Anyway, we shall hopefully you watch the race, and hopefully you are tuning in for our reaction podcast, which will be coming your way on Sunday. But in the meantime, it's time to say bye for now. Thanks very much for listening, and enjoy the race. See you, see you later. Australia. Australian accent. No, don't be stupid. Nigel, do you know the only Kazakhstanian cycling team? Uh, yeah. Team Kazakh. That is correct. Right. Hold on, Nigel. <laughs> it's insensitive uh, to cough when I'm ill. Surely it's insensitive to be ill while I'm coughing. Touche. Carry on. Dude,